Hello, listeners, and welcome to Sobertown. This is King13, your host, joining you today, and I'm going to drive into the wonderful world of sobriety. And today, people, I have a guest that I came across recently in a different community. Uh, he belongs in the Luckiest Club community, of which I have been sitting in on meetings. And I just happened to overhear this gentleman had 37 years of sobriety. And of course, my ears pinged up and I wanted to know, obviously, a lot more about that. So I just want to welcome today my guest, David. David, how are you today? It's Good, amazing. Deb. Good. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, look, I am glad you're here too. So why don't you just kick us off and tell us exactly how you even got to 37 years. It's amazing. And start wherever you like. Okay, well, um, I'm going to talk about the last night I drank and then back it up 20 years to the first night I drank and try and fill in the blanks in between to show how successful my drinking was. But the last night I drank, it was, it was actually almost 38 years ago. It was the end of June. It was a nice summer night. I went down to the bar where I did all, most of my drinking. I did most of my drinking in bar rooms. And um, I really wanted to go down there and have a few drinks and get feeling good. And um, I just remember being in the bar and drinking. And next thing I knew was, uh, first I came out of a blackout and I was up on a highway, not too far from where the bar was. I'd been in a two-car accident. I hit another moving vehicle from behind. Um, both cars were totaled by the grace of God. If you want to say that, the other two people weren't injured. I had a broken collarbone, had some other chest injuries. I was so drunk, I don't remember what much of what happened. Next thing I remember is being in, waking up in the hospital with a, a doctor and a police officer standing over my hospital bed. And the doctor was just kind of checking to see how I was. The cop was a guy that I knew from around town. Play, I played in a basketball league against him, but I certainly didn't know him well. We weren't friends, but he was in the police station the night they, when they arrested me, which I don't, don't even remember at all. And um, he came down the next morning to the hospital just to check and see how I was doing. So anyway... I laid there in that hospital bed and uh, I knew something had to change. I didn't know what, but I knew something had to change. I didn't know it was going to involve not drinking because I'd been in accidents before. Um, I was going to lose my license again. I knew that. So there was a lot on the table for me. Later on that day, my father came to see me in the hospital and I had IVs plugged into me and stuff. They had monitors on my chest. Like I said, I had a broken collarbone. I had other chest injuries. And um, my father pointed to all this stuff that was plugged into me and said, does this tell you something about yourself? And I said, yeah, I need help. And that's the first time I can remember telling anyone I needed help in a long time. So I got out of the hospital and I went to see my lawyer to find out what was going to happen in court. I was in the hospital for five days. I was in ICU and then I got out of the hospital. So I went to see my lawyer. He had defended me before on mm -hmm. previous DUIs, but 
it was strictly a lawyer-client relationship. It wasn't like we were close or good friends because we weren't. And I went into his office and I immediately started to make up a lame excuse about what would happen, what had happened that night. And he cut me right off and he said, you have to stop drinking. And I said, do you have any suggestions? And he said, try AA. He hooked me up with a friend of his who at that time was sober, like 10, 12 years. I can't remember. A guy who had long-term sobriety, complete stranger. Mm -hmm. This guy started bringing me around to AA meetings and, um, even the first meeting we went to was in the basement of a Catholic church. Um, I could identify with some of the things I heard. The drinking that people did, their war stories, the trouble they got themselves into, some of the feelings they had. And, um, but I wasn't ready to call myself an alcoholic. And this guy brought me to meetings just about every night all over the general area where I live. It's in North Shore of Boston. And um, I'd hear people tell their stories and talk about their drinking. And I wasn't ready to call myself an alcoholic. I couldn't deal myself in. And finally, somewhere in the second month of sobriety, I went to a meeting and I heard a guy say, if you can no longer take a drink in safety, you're an alcoholic. And that hit home with me. I could identify with that because it had been a long time since I've been able to take a drink at safety. And then, well, David, at this point, let me just ask you, how old were you when, with what you talking to me? I was 36. I, right. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. Go on. Yep. Um, and then people in the 12-step meetings would say, keep coming here. You'll hear your story. And I didn't believe that for a second. Mm. I was skeptical. Shortly thereafter, I heard my story. And um, when those two things happened, that's when I started to call myself an alcoholic. I started to deal into the program. And um, after about two months, the obsession to drink was lifted. And I used to hear people in meetings say, pray to something, pray to your higher power, pray to something mm -hmm. outside yourself to have that obsession lifted. I never did that, but it was lifted anyway. And I credit that to... AA and the people in it. And, you know, I was sober now about two months. I had to move because I was going to lose my license. I moved to a town that I had never lived in before. Um, I started going to meetings in that town, a couple of other surrounding towns, and I didn't know anybody in AA. And um, for the first, I'd say, two and a half years, I was sober. All I did was not drink and go to meetings mm. nine times a week, every day, twice a day on weekends. And um, I'd sit in meetings and see the 12 steps on the wall and I'd read them. And those were great ideas for everybody else. They weren't good ideas for me. If you've ever read them, searching and fearless moral inventory, mm -hmm. prayer and meditation, when you're wrong, promptly admit it and, you know, I wasn't interested in any of those things. And uh, I was sober about two and a half years. And there's a guy who had a men's step meeting at his house. And he used to talk about how much it helped him. It helped other guys. So he blindsided me one night after a meeting and said, uh, um, do you want to go to the meeting? So I went to the meeting and uh, 
made me take a look at myself, showed me there was more wrong with me um, than just an alcohol problem. And I left this out, but I, I want to go back to the first night I drank. I was 16 years old. It was right. um, at the end of my junior year in high school. Um, guys that I knew that I hung around with, went to school with, drank before I did. And they used to talk about how good alcohol made them feel. So I knew it was something I was going to try sooner or later. So I went out with like three or four guys. We got, you know, we each got a six pack of beer and we sat in somebody's car at a remote place and drank it. And um, they were right. It made me feel good. Um, I didn't pass out. I didn't black out. I didn't throw up. I didn't get arrested. I didn't get into a jackpot. You know, I just got feeling good. And uh, I liked it right from the start. And um, I didn't run out the next night and drink or the next weekend, maybe sometime a month or so went, went by before I drank again. But I knew right from that first night, it was something that I liked and I was going to try it again. And um, what I'm saying is my intentions, the last night I drank and the first night I drank, were the same. I wanted to go out and get feeling good, not get in trouble. And um, I, went, I was 18. I went away to college and um, I was away from home for the first time in my life. I was going to school in New Hampshire. My parents at that time were living in New Jersey. Um, so they were like, a my father, especially was like a five hour ride away. So when I got away to school, it was the first time I'd ever been away from home in my life. Um, my drinking just took right off. You know, I drank with impunity. I could drink whenever I felt like it and didn't have to answer to my parents or really anyone else. And, um, yeah, I went from drinking that six pack once in a while to very quickly drinking all weekend long till five years later, when I got out of college, I just drank whenever I felt like it, whenever the opportunity presented itself, whenever the spirit moved me. And by now I was over 21. I could drink at bar rooms and that pattern continued. I wound up doing most of my drinking in bar rooms and um, I got out of school and I got a job and started to make a little money. And um, this pattern of drinking in bar rooms continued. And then I started to get into white outside trouble. trouble. Um, I had three DUIs spread over like a 10 year period of time. The first one, I had to go to a community alcohol safety program. It was a long time ago and it wasn't the drumbeat about drunk driving like there is now. I didn't even lose my license. There was some fines. You know, I had to go to court uh, and I had to kind of take this course. Drunk drivers had to take it at that time. And, uh, but it was at this course that a counselor said, if you're a blackout drinker, you have a drinking problem. And by now I was blacking out. Not every time I drank, but often enough, all three of my DUIs were blackouts. And, um, I heard her say that, and as far as I was concerned, this her theory didn't apply to me. I was the exception to the rule. It was just the price I paid for drinking a little bit too much. And the other thing I remember about that course was uh, they gave out a sheet where you're supposed to record your drinks during the course of the week, how much you drank. And I remember seeing the sheet. First of all, 
it wasn't long enough. <laughs> it was only one page. I needed more than one page. And I then guys I drank with that had DUIs before, I showed them this sheet and they said, you better start lying your ass off because yeah. you put down how much you actually drink. You'll be going to those beatings for the rest of my life. So that's what I did. I was good at that. I was, I, I knew how to lie my ass off. So I, you know, I, I didn't put down how much I actually drank. And then this DUI did not alter my drinking at all. I continued to drink the way I always had continue to drive drunk, drinking, you know, driving blackouts, drink myself into blackouts. Five years later, I got a second DUI. And this time I lost my license for a year. Um, but I continue to drive without a license, drink and drive without a license. You know, it's a miracle I didn't get stopped. And um, I got my license back. And this, this didn't alter my drinking either. And then about five years later, that was that last night I drank when I, you know, totaled two automobiles, you know, could have killed myself, could have killed the other two people in the car. And, um, you know, that's how successful my, my drinking was over a 20 year period of time. And, um, you know, during that 20, between all those DUIs, and the first night I drank and the last night I drank was you know, some fun. I'm not going to say I didn't have fun drinking because I did, but like, it's the old cliche fun, fun with trouble and then trouble. And at the end, the trouble was more than I wanted to put up with. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in, I did, I wasn't a daily drinker. Um, I could go for some stretches of time without drinking, never with any resolve, never like I thought it was a good idea with any commitment. I just, maybe I was giving my body a break for a few days. Mm. Um, you know, maybe I, I had just come out of a jackpot of some kind. I was waiting for the smoke to clear. And once it cleared, I always went back to drinking the way I always had, you know, just all the time. I mean, from the time I was 18 until I got sober and when I was 36, alcohol was always a good idea. And nothing got between me and a drink of alcohol. And, you know, you never had to ask me twice to go drinking. Uh, people sometimes talk about triggers. And I know people have triggers. The only trigger I had was once I made my mind up that I was going to drink on a given day or a given night or whatever it was, I drank come hella high water. And... Go ahead, Deb. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, listening to you, you know, and we hear progress, you know, it's a progressive thing that actually gets to you. And I'm, I find myself sitting here because I too have had DUIs and lied on those forms about how much you drink because you want to yeah. behave, don't you? And you want to get yeah. back out there. But it just goes to show you and me included, I was exactly the same boat, had car accidents when I was young, because I mean, I'm 60 this year, so I'm not young. When I was 19, everybody was drinking and driving. The world was just crazy back then. Our, we saw our parents doing it or, you know, relatives or whatever. And even though as dangerous as it is, the frustration for me was why do I keep doing this? And then I stopped 
very quickly because I got my first DUI at 23 and I got another one 30 years later when I, it was the only day, one of the only days I chose to drink and drive. And, and I had not been drinking all day. And the mistake I made was I got sucked in late. And this is where it even got me that day that I was behaving. And then later on that day, I decided to, and of course the alcohol was fresh in my system, realised I had to get home and feed the dog and got into an accident and was lucky that that this particular woman wasn't hurt, but my car was written off too. And I thought, wow, you can keep doing this. It's just going to get worse and worse. And you should thank your lucky stars that you got off free and you're both still able to walk away. Obviously, the car damage was done. But it's frightening, isn't it, what a hold it has. And it's, nope. it doesn't discriminate, like nope. you said, it's just the same for a lot of people. And um, I love that line. And just say that again, the one about, you said something about the safety. It's, you realise, just tell me again that, if, that particular line that you use. If you can no longer take a drink in safety, um, you, you're an alcoholic. That's what this guy said. And yeah. This guy said it, you know. Safety, yeah. This guy said it. It was, you know, it's almost 38 years ago. And like I said, People had probably said that at meetings before. Mm. I didn't mm. hear it. Mm. This night, I heard it clear as a bell. I don't even know if I've ever seen that guy since then. You know, mm. he could mm. be in any of the thousands of meetings. I've probably been there since then. But thank God he said it that night. My ears were open enough to hear it. That's usually the way it is for me at meetings. I might Somebody might say something 10 times. I don't hear it. But then. I hear it on the 11th time or the 20th time or the 100th time or whatever it is. And what yeah. you were talking about, um, how it, alcohol having a hold on you, what I learned in sobriety is that when I picked up a drink, I was rolling the dice. I never mm -hmm. knew what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Some nights I could drink successfully and then some nights, um, you know, I could get DUIs or, you know, get into a jackpot or, you know, I mean, I was a pass out, throw up, fall down drinker, you know, not every time I drank. And somebody actually asked me once, what do you mean by drink and safety? And the way I define it is I could go out and have a few drinks and get feeling good and get home without incident. I could go out another night, the same intentions and go head first through the windshield of my car, which I did, you know, and I had no, no control over the outcome either night was the same. Yeah, you know, and I know when COVID hit and I began drinking in isolation here, because um, I think, you know, we all thought we weren't going to be here. We didn't know what was going to happen. The gates just flooded open. But it's so true that I would almost try and experience um experience or experiment with myself and I because I was scared with I would not know when that next glass of wine was going to be the one where I'd lose my memory and half lose my memory even though and it's been said to me you were functioning you were talking no one would know I would know the next day when people would, or my husband would say something and the conversation was not I could not recollect yeah but apparently I had the conversation and you know but then my husband drinks too, so he was probably, you know, clouded with his judgment maybe at the time, although he, he's nowhere near like what I was. Um, but that would scare me. That, that started to really scare me 
and I could not trust myself. That's what scared me, I think, when I was laying in that hospital bed and I knew something had to change. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, that wasn't the first time I had done that to myself. It was probably, it was the worst jackpot I was in. And like mm. I said, I mean, I wound up losing my license for two and a half years. And uh, um, just to go back to where, you know, when I started to go to that step meeting at the guy's house, yeah, um, showed me I had more wrong with me than just an alcohol problem. You know, wasn't a pretty picture, but the flip side of, of it was I could do something, do the 12 steps. And I'm not an expert on 12 steps by any stretch of the imagination, but I wound up going to that meeting for about three and a half years and taught me a lot of little things that I try to apply in my life today, like be a friend amongst friends, be a mm -hmm. worker amongst workers, you know, do the work that's in front of you treat people the way you'd like to be treated. And there's one statement in there, one sentence that when I read it, it said that alcoholics are people that have never had a true relationship with another human being. That summed me up to a T. You know, they mm. could put my picture next to that sentence because I'm an introvert by nature. I'm much less of an introvert since I've been good sober, but I didn't want to tell anyone what was going on with me. Um, you know, I mean, I was cordial and polite. I could say please and thank you. And I could talk about the news, the sports, the weather. I could talk about bullshit. That's what I could talk about. But I couldn't mm -hmm. tell you what was going on with me. And um, mm -hmm. because I went to that meeting, I took a fourth and fifth step a couple of times where you have to tell somebody what's, about what's going on with you. Right. And, um, right. So the steps gave me a way of life. And, um, you know, I've been sober ever since. I mean, AA and sobriety saved my life because I should be dead several times over for some of the stuff I pulled when I was drinking. If I drink again, and I'm not going to drink today because I'm in this meeting today. And I was in a meeting with you earlier. This is my second. So I'm not going to drink today. I'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. But if I pick up a drink, um, I'll kill myself. I'm convinced of that. Um, you know, when I went to meetings, people would say in the beginning, they'd say, you never have to drink again. And I could identify with that. But then they'd say, you'll never have to get sober again. And I could really <laughs> identify with that because I don't want to have to get sober again. Right. I don't think I can. I don't think I have another. I, I can probably drink again, but I don't think I have another recovery in me. So. I don't want to go down that road. I'm not going down there today. And, um, you know, I mean, I could go on and on about a lot of stuff. Um, you know, well, we hear I, a lot I, about I, the healthy fear of not going. And that's what I do. If ever I hear the voice and it is the attic voice, I call it the devil because I've, I've actually named it. And, you know, I've, I have a lot of tools that I use, but I, always go back and think about the day before I gave up and where I was at. And it hit me at a crazy time because today I am 500 days sober and I'm thrilled because Congrats. I never thought, thank you, at 6.11 p.m. tonight. And <laughs> I really didn't think, I used to come into these meetings, you know, and we both know, um, you know, Professor Chef um, Rick and, you know, he was the first person that I went to a Zoom meeting with in the I Am Sober community, which I belong to, which is yeah. just a free app that you download, you know. And 
and I thought, wow, this, these people are really nice because I had been to AA meetings in different countries and, you know, they were at that time pretty male-dominated yeah. and it was pretty uncomfortable. So in some sort of retrospect, having COVID and having now plenty of meetings online has been, I think a lot more people have taken, you know, the jump to say, well, this has got a little out of hand now and I really need to look at myself. And like you said, people can talk to you and tell you, but you have to do it on your own. And sometimes it is just that one thing that clicks, you know, out of everything I hear. And I write down little things and that's why I love little sayings that really mean a lot. um, Professor Rick sort of said, you know, about the serenity prayer and I still have it on my mirror. I love it. And when I actually applied that to my life, it lifted so many things because I can't control a lot of what I was necess- unnecessarily worrying about. Um, and I still do an AA meeting in Australia now and I really enjoy it. And I do a lot of different things, just custom designing my own program because I believe we can always learn. So did you ever go to any, apart from the AA, did you ever do any other type of meetings or you've stuck with them? And do you sponsor people or because if you've been going for so long, you're pretty, um, pretty well known, I would think. Um, well, actually, when I first got sober, there were meetings outside the AA platform. That step mm-hmm. meeting in the guy's house wasn't really it wasn't in right. the AA meeting list book. And then there was another meeting. They called it Alcohol Awareness. It was a treatment center right in the town where I lived. And it was geared toward the people or the patients that were in the treatment center. It was one of those 28-day programs. Yeah. But it, yeah. It, what it was geared toward was their families, their you know spouses, their siblings, even their kids. And it used More to like meet. Al-Anon, yeah. Yeah. It is. It was yeah. a, very much like Alamont, but it was yeah. almost, it was all some Alamont people, a lot of AA people. But there were people in AA who used to say, well, that's not AA. And even back then, my reaction was, you know what, if it helps me stay sober, I don't care whether it's <laughs> outside you. the AA platform or not, you know, because really, you. I mean, I say this sincerely. I mean, I've been sober long enough. There are people I don't like, <laughs> probably people, probably people who don't like me, but anyone who walks through the doors of a sobriety community, a sobriety platform meeting, I hope they stay sober. Because I know what this disease did to me. And I hope it doesn't do it. You know, it doesn't, what it did to me, I hope it doesn't do that to them. There's, there's recovery, there's hope, there's life here. I mean, I refer to myself as a recovered alcoholic. That's another hot button issue. Like I've heard people right. say, yes. yeah, some people say, I won't be recovered until they bury me as well. I don't want to wait that long, you know. What I've recovered from is the helpless, hopeless state I was in when I first got sober. Things aren't hopeless. I'm not helpless. And, um, you know, I mean, I could tell more of my story. You know, my parents weren't alcoholics. I didn't see a lot of drinking growing up. Right. I'm the oldest of four. And, um, you know, I was the trailblazer in my family as far as alcohol was as it was con- is concerned. I mean, I've got a brother that's, I see he's out in the wind. I haven't talked to him in like, I'm guessing 10 years, but, you know, he's, he's an alcoholic. He's a drug addict. 
he put himself away in a treatment center like a while ago. And he called me up and said he wanted to go to meetings when he got out. I said, call me when you get out. We'll go to meetings. And I'm still waiting for the call. It's, I bet it's been like 25 years. And I don't know where he lives or where he is. And if he was sober, I'd probably know about it. So I'm assuming he's still out there, you know, doing drugs and drinking. And I mean, that has nothing to do with me. And, um, you know, my wife grew up in an alcoholic home. Her father was an alcoholic and she's told me the horror stories. And, um, you know, I've got a daughter that's 32 years old and, uh, my wife and daughter have never seen me pick up a drink. I met my wife in sobriety. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I was going to but, say, um, did you meet her in a meeting? Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, we, we get married and our daughter came along. She's 32 years old. And, you know, she knows why I go to meetings. I mean, she was young. I used to bring meetings with her just for babysitting purposes. So yeah. she knows, she doesn't know all the gory details, but, she knows enough of them. She knows why I don't drink. My wife doesn't drink. And um, so, you know, we don't have, we don't keep alcohol in the house or anything like that. And I mean, it wasn't that long ago. My wife said, if you ever drink again, you're not living here anymore. Keep going, find another place to live. Because she saw what, what it did to her father. And actually yeah. her father, um, he's been dead about 25 years. He actually got sober in AA. Um, before he passed away. And I never met him when he was still drinking. I met him after he got sober. So, you know, he stopped drinking. Family had an intervention with him. So, um, and like you were talking about, you know, all the different Zoom meetings and things that are outside the AA platform. The sobriety landscape has changed so much since I got sober. I mean, pretty much it was just AA. That's all I knew about. But now there's podcasts and you know different communities you can join and people write books and you know um they they give lectures and you know if you're in doubt or you're wondering just you know google zoom or recovery you'll see meetings coming up from all over the place you can go to them from all over the world too and um and i've you know i used to travel for work so i've been to meetings aa meetings in other parts of the country and in other foreign countries too. And um, really the message is the same. Don't drink. I think someone told me, who was it? I might have actually been Mick that told me, um, I think they have actually at an airport, they be, I think you can call someone to actually get to a meeting within an airport, which is, because, you know, airports used to be a great one for me. I could never get on a plane without, you know, sitting in the bar before because I'd fly to Australia and so forth. Yeah. Um, do you find with with the voice, do you still get the voice? Because with me, when I get stressed, the voice wants to creep in and say, go on, you know. I don't get it a lot because I have a lot of tools. I've only think I've had like two two times when I've sort of fought and said, all right, let's face this, because I wanted to test how strong I was. Not recommended people who are listening, <laughs> unless you, you're pretty confident that, you know, you've got to be prepared to win or lose. But I was pretty, I felt pretty good about what I was going to do. I just wanted to see how far I would go um, because the mind is still, you know, and I've tried to rewire my brain to everything I thought is now the opposite of what I used to think. And I pause now and I ask myself, like you said, why? And I know it's not going to get better tomorrow. Whilst we can't predict tomorrow and we do live for today because we've agreed, whether you're at day one or, you know, 
30, 38 years, we're all just a sip away. And I really, when you said recovered, let's go back to that. Is it because, like you said, you just feel like, I don't know, what do you feel like? That's a really good, that's a really interesting point because I'm, no, I'm nowhere near where you are. Well, I mean, every day when I wake up, I'm okay with myself. Yeah. I don't, I don't have an axe to grind with anybody. It doesn't mean I don't have problems and things don't go out of my life. They do. I mean, what I've mm. found is drunk or sober, life was going to keep coming at me. Right. I'd rather deal it, deal with it being sober as opposed to being under the influence, an influence of alcohol and or drugs. And I did drugs along the way too. I smoked pot, snorted cocaine, and took Percocet, took speed, you know, i if you put something in front of me and said it would make me feel good, uh, you know, the ache would go away, the heartache, the headache, the backache, the toothache, I'd give it a try. You know, I'd try anything, but um, mm. I, I don't live under the influence of alcohol or drugs. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I just don't have an ax to grind with everybody, with anybody. Um, I'm okay with just about everybody. I'm okay with my biggest thing is I'm okay with myself. Yes, I like absolutely. myself today. I trust absolutely. myself a lot more. And, and that's the one I love. I trust myself. Yeah. It feels so good to say that. Yeah. Cause when I was drinking, you could trust me as far as you could throw me. And especially when it came time to drink, we have a tradition here where I got sober and they probably do it at other meetings where people describe the disease and it's threefold. It's physical, mental, and spiritual. I'll give you a brief description. Physical is, there's something different about me. I'm wired differently. To this day, I don't know what it is, but when I pick up a drink of alcohol, it sets off a phenomenon of craving, mm -hmm. and I can't stop drinking. You know, one drink isn't enough. I'm just going to drink until whenever. And the mental part is, I'm thinking about drinking all the time. And um, even when I had all those DUIs and all the jackpots and in the back of my mind, I knew I was going to drink again. And I knew mm -hmm. I was going to um, drink the way I had before with reckless abandon. And then the spiritual part, um, I sum it up as when I drank, I didn't give a shit about anything, especially when it came time to drink. Um, I was going to step over you. I was going to push you out of my way. I didn't care if you were my best friend, my parents, family members, or total strangers, or anyone in between. When it was came time to drink, I didn't care about anything. And I'd go drinking and let the chips fall where they may. So, um, And that's the sad reality, isn't it, of where we it, end up? That's right. what it does to you. It's a complete taker. I always say there are two types of people in this world. Or givers and takers unfortunately there are more takers than givers but that one is the biggest one and i love that's why i love that saying that um sobriety promises or sobriety <clears throat> sorry sobriety delivers what alcohol promises you know yeah. what i mean because it does it really yeah. does and it's only and i you know i used to get frustrated because to think for a smart woman you were pretty silly not knowing what this alcohol was but with the marketing with everything being the norm and i do feel that things are changing too i agree with you I think that the platform is changing. We are seeing a lot more about sobriety. Even now, just with Sobertown, we're only 15 months old. It started March last year. 
We wanted the stuff out there and the sole purpose I do this is so people aren't alone. I want the listeners to be able to say, okay, I'm at this stage, what do I do? Or I've got to, you know, the holidays are coming. How do I deal with the holidays? And there's many topics here, listeners, that you can go and have a look at after David and I have actually finished. Um, now, you thought, just interestingly, your daughter, does she actually drink or is she seeing mum and dad not do it so? No, she drinks and, I mean, and I think I'm a pretty decent judge of it. Uh, I don't think she has a drinking problem. Yeah. She yeah, doesn't drink just, all the time. She can yeah, just curious. drink in moderation yeah. and drink in safety. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. today, my, my wife worries more about it than I do. But I think you can't prevent alcoholism. You know, if somebody That's is destined <laughs> to be an alcoholic, they're going to be an alcoholic. And uh, so it's not something I worry about i just what i've learned is i try to be a power of example yes with my daughter and in general with other people that i meet you know along the way yeah uh you know i don't drink and i think i'm okay and i lead a decent useful productive life i mean you know for the listeners that are out there i mean i'm retired now i've been retired for I don't know how many years for a while, but um, I'm okay with myself. Like I said, I grew up right outside Boston, the Boston area, and I've lived here most of my life. And, um, you know, I, I can't say enough about sobriety, what it's given me. I mean, it's given me my life, but it's given me a lot of other things. And, um, and you know, we go to TLC, and it's the people I've met along the way, because when I went to AA, I didn't know anyone. I remember the first mm. meeting I went to, it was a pretty good size meeting. There might've been a hundred people there. I was convinced when I went into that meeting, in that church basement, I'd see somebody I knew and I didn't see yeah. anyone I knew. And then after a while it dawned on me, why would I see anyone I knew? The only people I knew were people who drank at bar rooms. And Isn't that what interesting? What were they going to be How, doing yeah, yeah, on a Sunday yeah. night in the basement of a Catholic church? Listen to, people who are either sober or trying to get sober. And the interesting point there is the shame that we feel is attached to it at that given time, walking through those doors and fearing we might see somebody we know. It takes a lot of courage to get through those doors. But when you do, and when you do take the step, listeners, and you say, this is what I'm going to do, and we begin to work our sobriety, things do change and I find I'm quite obsessed with it when I started I used to say every day and I still do alcohol is irrelevant to me that's my mantra so this is what I'm saying I just say it so now I look at alcohol and it's irrelevant to me I have actually people places things I've disconnected somewhat and it does not mean that I, you know, I don't feel as far ahead as the numbers say because it's not that long and I drank for a long period of time too. But I was more of a sort of go home after work sort of girl. I was in sales like you and then drink after work with the people or whatever. But I'd always go to bed early. I didn't used to drink till blackout. I used to say, well, I've had enough. I'm going to feel crook and I would go. But I would drink every single day. So yeah. they're... Whatever way it goes, it goes like this. You know, there's lines going everywhere in our brain. And you're right. How are we wired? Why do we have this? You can't prevent it, which I think is a spot on point. Yeah. It's a brilliant point you made. Um, And you can't stop anybody. I used to say to my husband, why didn't you say anything? And he said, I couldn't stop you. 
And you know yeah. what? He was absolutely right. Absolutely. He said, you would have just told me where to, where to yeah. because at that time alcohol was more important, like he said. Yeah. And it's you look back and you think, but once you accept that you can't change yesterday and you do the work and you're right, that you you know accept David as you are today, you know you're a good person, you're doing good things, and this is life now. And I want the listeners to know that they can have a life and manage sobriety, and I'm trying my hardest to manage sobriety at the moment. And I don't find it difficult, and I don't think about alcohol on a daily basis unless I get stressed. And then he sees the crack, the voice comes in and says, okay, well, maybe a glass of wine would settle you down. But when you can notice and you're aware of that and you're staying vigilant, it's a different progression because you can hold on a minute. This, I know what you're up to. You cunning, baffling, sneaky little right. devil, you. You've heard those words before. Yeah. And the awareness is everything. But that only comes, as I said, I didn't know all this in the first part of the first year of sobriety. I was learning it. So now this year for me is all emotional sobriety, like you said, and getting to know yourself. So let's talk a little bit because I don't want to keep you too much longer. No, it's okay. Talk about Take as the, much. The, yeah, well, we might have to do it in two parts, I think, because there is a lot to cover. And um, and as I said, you know, I, I didn't want it to have any particular, just say exactly where you wanted to start and finish. But the maintenance part, you don't find these days, as you said, you get on with life, you still, and this is the pointlessness, you still go to meetings, right? Yeah, I've never gotten away from a sobriety platform, you know, right? because of Zoom, you know, and COVID. And at my age, it's easier and probably safer to to go to meetings mm-hmm. on Zoom. Although I still go to, you know, live AA meetings. And um, if we just back up a second, you were talking about acceptance. Yes. Um, for me, acceptance was a big part of my sobriety. I accepted the fact that like we just said, I'm wired differently than the normal person, the normal drinker. Um, maybe someday, somebody, there's a scientific reason for that. I don't know. Maybe somebody can sit, sit me down and explain it to me. But I accepted a long time ago that the fact that I'm an alcoholic, that I can't take a drink in safety, and other people can. You know, other people can drink in safety and more power to them. I'm not envious of them. I don't judge them, but I can't drink in safety. And, uh, you know, alcohol is everywhere. You know, you see the advertisements, things on TV, and, you know, go to social events, go to a sporting event, you know, go anywhere. People are drinking, but you know what else is around is everywhere? Sobriety. Right. Uh, Like we talked about, We've just talked about different platforms. Turn on your computer, Google Recovery or AA meetings or whatever you if you don't like AA, try, you know, there's smart recovery it's and Dharma recovery. Yeah. yeah, try the luckiest mm-hmm. club. Try there's probably something out there that that'll fit you, you know. And um because I've gone to different meetings occasionally. I do them on on uh you know on the computer. I Google them, but um you know, if you want to get sober and stay sober, you don't, you don't have to do this alone. You know, it's not a solo sport. There's help out there. And like I said, it's been the people I've met, the people I met in AA. And I'm not a joiner. I'm not somebody who right away signs up for things. And, uh, but, you know, I'm, my best friends in life, the vast majority of them 
of people I've met in recovery. Doesn't mean I don't have friends outside recovery, the recovery world, but um, even when I went into TLC, um, somebody pointed me in the direction of it. And again, I was skeptical, a skeptical person anyway by, by nature. And it took a little, a little while to get used to the format. It was different than AA, but I got used to it. And I knew Laura McCowan, who founded TLC. I knew her before any of this started. Didn't know her well, but I knew her. And when TLC started, she was hosting most of the meetings. But but I went and, um, you know, our local TLC group here in Massachusetts, we have, you know, in-person meetings. And yeah. I've made yeah. friends through that. We just had a big meetup about, it was, I think it was two, yeah, two weeks ago in Boston. Yeah. And about 100 people showed up. A lot of Massachusetts people right. that people from, people came from um, Ireland and, they came from Canada. They came from different parts of the U.S. And that's that's been the biggest fringe benefit for me, especially of TLC, is the people I've met. And you realize people aren't alone. You know, we're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have that. They talk about an AA that transmission line of one one alcoholic to another. You know, and um, so I, mean, I could go on. Yeah. And on. No, you're right. And that's exactly how I felt on day one alone. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. And um, I just basically, I didn't even find the I Am Sober app for three months, but that's what we have done as well. You know, we have introduced more uh, Zooms online for ladies, for for the guys. You came to the new Sober Town one on Sunday, which is a new Facebook one from here. so, yeah, we're trying to provide those connections. So you would agree that the connection is, is the opposite of addiction. We must stay connected. We have to have somebody to support us, and I believe that we can't do this alone as strong as we are. And we can be frustrated. We can be cynical. And I hear so many people who have longevity and sobriety that go to AA, come in resistant, and have embraced it, and they are still sober today. So, again, whatever works for you, whatever you relate to. And I really like Bill's book. Bill said in the book, this is a guide, you know, do you know what I mean? But over the years, it's obviously developed strongly because women weren't, I don't think, attending meetings back in the day, and I could be wrong. But um, And another woman, Stephanie Covington, has written a book called A Woman's Way Through the 12 Steps, and she's written it basically from a woman's perspective. So things are changing, you know, and we're, and whatever we can relate to, not everybody's going to relate to everything, but I just want to thank you today. And I don't know if you just want to give some, just before we close up, but just some tips on maintaining sobriety. Like let's go so some tips for the people at the very start who are just setting out and some people who are into sobriety and keep going. What would be a couple of things that you tell the listeners? One thing is, and a guy told me this pretty early in sobriety, he said, you have to get a handle on sobriety before anything good is going to happen for you. You have to put down the alcohol and or the drugs. If you did drugs, you got to put those down and keep them down. And then good things will start to happen. And that's what happened for me. Like I said, I've been sober since day one, since my first meeting. I know that's not the case with everyone. Um, so you never you never slipped at all. No, I didn't. Wow, no. yeah. amazing! Uh, yeah, that top one 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 percent. Maybe I probably am because the statistics. They when I got sober, they said fifty percent 
of the people who come to AA will go back out and drink again. And then from that group, 50, another 50% will get back, mm. get back to AA and stay sober. So like 75% of people will stay sober. I, I, I wondered about this statistic, but I read recently somewhere that that's the case in all recovery groups, uh, that mm-hmm. 75% of the people might take a little time, but eventually they get sober and stay sober. So, you know, get a handle on sobriety. The other thing I, this was a big breakthrough with me was find somebody to talk to. Um, yes, absolutely. That's the most important, you know, I think. I've heard other people say it. it's true. And it was for me. You don't need to talk to 10 people. You don't need to talk to five people. Try finding one person. That, Just one. That you can trust that, you know, you think they, they walk their talk, you know, tell them what's going on with you. And, you know, I, what I've found is I get that stuff out of my system. It doesn't mm-hmm. own me. And when I'm talking yeah. to another alcoholic, sober alcoholic, it's the feedback I get. I mean, I like the people that say, yeah, I did that too. Or, you know, I walked in your shoes before, you know. And the other thing I try to do is not tell people what to do. Tell them what I do. Right. Um, you know, it's people that are, that are, I've found that are telling other people what to do. They're trying to give away something they don't have. So I just people tell people what I've done and they can take it from there. They can, they have another way. If they want to go back to what they were doing, that's okay. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. So what yeah, I'm doing today, exactly. you know, exactly. being here yeah. speaking to you, Debs, you know, yeah, look, and I just, I want to thank you for that. And I think that's great advice. I really do. Um, and I know that you have to work it to, uh, for me especially, I have to work it. I have to stay connected. And I do do this full time and I've become kind of obsessed with sobriety, but there's nothing nicer than watching. And even with the women, you know, we still, we have women's groups that are, and the I am, the I am Sober Zooms are unofficial. Again, the volunteers got together like, what you guys do as well. And it doesn't matter what groups you're in. You can have your own personal group. It doesn't have to belong to any affiliation. If you're out there and you know a couple of people that are maybe getting sober with yourselves, get yourselves a little accountability group because I found with the accountability and you being a salesperson too, you know, we were used to budgets and goals. And so we had a lot of those things going on. And, um, yeah, so I'm going to just wrap this up here because I think we've got another meeting coming through. Yeah. So I just wanted to say thank you for your time and I would most definitely love to have you back again. Sure. And, um, yeah, it's been really enlightening and I can't wait to re-listen to this and just I'm very proud of both of us. <laughs> I'm proud of my 500 days and congratulations to you too and um, thank you for your time. It's, I'd like to listen to it again. Can you send me a link or something? Or I got oh, you'll get this when it's published up. Don't worry. It's on all okay. the major platforms. So, yes, when it's published, you'll be able to. It'll be out there for everybody to hopefully listen, learn, yeah. absorb, and stay and maintain sobriety. And that's what we want for you people. So, please, check out the I Am Sober app. Check us out here at Sobertown. And, please, pour the poison down the sink. And I'll see you next time. Here's King 13 signing off.